One in two women wear the wrong foundation. Are you? Time to upgrade. Il Maquillage is the boldest new brand in beauty. With 20,000 five-star reviews, their Woke Up Like This foundation is a bestseller for a reason. Available in 50 shades of flawless natural coverage, all cruelty-free. And with Try Before You Buy, it's risk-free. Take the Power Match quiz to find your perfect shade and try it free for 14 days. Go to ilmakiage.com slash quiz. That's I-L-M-A-K-I-A-G-E dot com slash quiz. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. I'm on the edge of my fucking seat right now. You are? Yeah, because Desi was like, I have a very special announcement to make. Okay, so I'm going to start the show off with a special announcement. We have uh, two lovely ladies on our Facebook fan page or friend group, whatever it's called, and they're like diehard listeners. Yeah. One is named Kim Merritt and one is named Tracy Solana. And I was talking to these girls and I checked out Kim. I stalked her Facebook page and I saw that she was a jewelry designer. So I said to her, thank you for listening to my show. I love your jewelry. She messaged me and she's like, I would love to send you and Rachel a care package. <gasps> So I was like, fuck yeah. Like, oh my God, I've never. And because she wasn't like a weird guy, I was like, sure, here's my address because I'm a sane person and I will be murdered one day. Hopefully not by Kim. So Kim has a jewelry company called Gritty Jewelry and they're in Seattle. And she sent us both a necklace. I'm wearing the cleaver right now, Rachel. What? That is so (laughs) cool. And she gave you. Let's see what it is. It's It's a little dagger. (laughs) Aren't those fucking cool as hell? This is so cool. I'm going to wear this every day. She sent a really nice note with it and it said, don't fight over them. But I picked the cleaver (laughs) because I felt like I schemed this jewelry for us. Well, Desi, you really are a cleaver. (laughs) I feel like that is your weapon of choice. Exactly. I had to. And that was the thing. I was like, I love the cleaver. No, I love this. I I mean, I actually, when I saw them, I was like, well, I don't know. The dagger is really fucking cool too. Aren't they amazing? We're going to post pictures. Yeah, absolutely. On Instagram and Facebook and whatever else we have. But definitely check out her jewelry because if you like kind of crime and, you know, ghoulish kind of whatever, but it's really nice, like well done jewelry and it has all kinds of like poison bottles and guillotine necklaces and like, this is so cool. I'm going to post all the info because I really do love her jewelry and we're so, this this. is like our first little gift and we love it. It's so sweet. Isn't that cool? Um, I also, I forgot the past two weeks that I was going to give a shout out to a true crime podcast from across the pond who I talked to on Instagram in the DMs called Red Handed, and they're really good. They actually did a Phil Spector episode, and I listened to that episode, and it was really good. So, And they're really funny ladies, so check oh, cool. them out. I just wanted to give them a plug because I talked to one of the hosts, and they were super cool. So cool. yeah, just Yay. giving them a shout out. <laughs> we did get some new patrons this week. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. Just put two new bonus episodes up. So this week we had Matt, Aaron, Christy, Sandra, Bacon Shart. Did you just want me to say Bacon Shart? I know. That seems like, come on. I mean, I, lo- I love it. <laughs> I love bacon. <laughs> shart is a very funny word. So thank you, Bacon Shart. We had Kay, Daniela, David, AJ, and Jennifer. And also, um, Liddy sent us a really nice message, too, on oh, Patreon. Right. Yeah, so I just you. wanted to say thank you for that sweet message. I did get it. I read it today. It was very sweet. So, um, And the other thing 
I wanted to say just one more set thing of business is that we could really use reviews. If you've wanted to support the show but don't have extra money or whatever, that's great. But you can leave us a review on iTunes. Give us five stars, bitches. <laughs> and tell us how much you love our vulgarity because people keep complaining about it even though we're explicit, bitch. Like, come on. And we're listed under comedy. I know. Come on. I keep saying so. I'm not Sarah Koenig. Even though she's great, I'm just not her. Right. So just... Give us a give us a little review. If yeah. you don't want to say anything, you can just put five stars, and that really right. actually does help us get seen more. Right, the algorithm or whatever. I don't know how it works because <laughs> I'm stupid. <laughs> so that's all the business. All right, thanks, guys. So this week we are doing a serial killer so prolific that I texted Desi at seven in the morning, sweating bullets, telling her we have to <clears throat> we have to do a part two. Okay. Because there's too much information on this motherfucker. Uh, his name is Randy Kraft. Have you ever heard of him before? I heard of him when we did William Bonig. Like, I remember looking them up. Right. Because they have a similar, or sort of. Well, he's also was known as the freeway killer right. as well. Because they were killing people around the same time. It was also just young men. His killers were, toss it on the bed, his killer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just chugged a bunch of coffee before you got it's here. It's okay. So his victims were a little bit older than William Bonin's. Bonin was really into teenage boys. Right. And Randy Kraft murdered more boys in their late teens, early 20s. Okay. That was his thing. But they were both killing people at around the same time in 1970s. And using the LA freeway system. Using the LA freeway system. And this guy was also in Orange County as well. He was like... I mean, this guy was traveling some great distances for his craft, Randy Craft. <laughs> Sorry to use that euphemism. <laughs> All right, let's let's talk about him. So Randy Craft was born March 19th, 1945 in Long Beach, California to Opal and Harold Craft. He was the youngest of four and Randy had three older sisters. When Randy was three, his family moved from Long Beach to Midway City in Orange County. Harold, his dad, worked on the assembly line at Douglas Aircraft, and Opalcraft worked as a seamstress. The family fell on hard times financially, but Randy was doted on by his mother's, by his mom and his sisters. Okay. This was not a case of child abuse that he went through. He did not have a rough home life. His dad was a little bit distant, but there was no real right. trauma going on mm -hmm. at home. He had a pretty pleasant home life. He was also a really good student, and he was seen as a nerd, but he was pretty well-liked as his classmates. There was really no stories about bullying. Like, he had his group of friends. He, you know, even had a couple girls that liked him. It, it wasn't like he was this outcast uh -huh. in school at all. Randy got into politics at a very young age. I guess not that young. He was, like, in his early teens. He was, like, in middle school. He started paying attention. But his dream was growing up to become a Republican senator. That was like... Well, I feel like he seems like he's on his way. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> now does he. <laughs> so the book that I read for most of my research this week is called Angel of Darkness. It's by Dennis McDougall. It's a very, very in-depth account of Randy's early life and his... Um, personality and sort of uh, the, the gay scene in the 70s. There was actually a review I read on Amazon before I bought the book. Uh -huh. And it was like, this is a really good book, but I really could give a shit. I, don't, I could care less about the gay scene in the 70s. I was like, wait, I'm totally buying this book now. <laughs> if 
like that's the complaint. I yeah, love when like someone's amazing. bad review is like something good. Oh yeah. To me. Totally. So I was like, wait, okay. And it is a really good book. It's very thorough. Uh, this guy, he knows his stuff. He's a, uh, I think he was like an investigative journalist. Mm-hmm. So he, he knows what he's talking about. Randy had two best friends, Billy and Paul in the book. They were referred to as the three musketeers. I don't know if that's how they were actually referred to. I just thought it was. Yeah. I, I, I believe that these guys, cause they were kind of dorky. They might call them we're the three musketeers, yeah. you know, and they, they hung around together and they were also into politics, these two boys. And this trio would attend the Christian anti-communist crusade meeting together <laughs> often, which is like, you're 15 years old. Like, go get drunk and high. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Hit, like, hook up with some chicks. What are you doing? <laughs> Come on. But then it's like, Orange County is very conservative. Yes. It's a very conservative pocket of California. Uh-huh. So it's it makes sense. And Randy actually would grow out of his Republican I- ideology and it was, he became a Republican because his parents were Republicans, essentially. Yeah. So, but I did think it was interesting that like at such a young age, he was like, I want to be a senator. Yeah. Although Randy mostly got straight A's, his chemistry teacher did not like him and failed him. She said that Randy felt the rules didn't apply to him and she failed him because he would not participate in her class. He basically was like, I don't need to do chemistry. I'm going to graduate anyway. Like, fuck you. I can just show up to class and not do any work. And this is sort of like part of his personality is he is very entitled Mm -hmm. to just stuff and didn't feel like he had to put in any effort. You know, I'm I'm already smart. I don't have to do the work for that. Since he was in high school, Randy knew he was gay. But in the early 60s, it wasn't exactly the best era to come out, and there certainly wasn't a queer scene in his conservative Orange County town. Randy graduated in 1963 and won a scholarship to Claremont Men's College. The description of this college just seemed like the dorkiest, lamest college ever. It's like they didn't have keggers. They didn't have wild parties. They would like, I mean, they would just do lame shit, and it was all men there, like, Parcheesy parties. <laughs> yeah, like seriously, like that was how they described it. And it was a very, very small school. Um, but, you know, he, whatever, he he was there. And in the fall of 1964, Randy's conservative views began to shift. And it probably had something to do with the fact that he started to have, he had his first affair with a man at that point. Yeah. So he didn't feel like the conservative lifestyle was necessarily going to align with him being gay. He ended up getting a job while he was still in college at a cocktail lounge called The Mug, which catered to a lot of gay patrons. The Mug? Yeah. I love the name of gay bars from like that period. Oh my God. (laughs) Some of the names of the bars in this book were incredible. And they're not there anymore, which is like unfortunate, but they're really good. In the summer of 1966, Randy was busted by an undercover cop for lewd conduct when he tried to have sex with the cop uh, at the Huntington Beach Pier. So in 1966, it's still pretty fucking illegal. He's like illegal. cruising, like walking around a place where that probably was yes, a thing. Yes. And he picks up a cop. He uh-huh. picked up a cop by accident. And they were he wasn't even like soliciting him for sex. It was just like, hey, let's fuck. Yeah. But being gay was like definitely a criminal offense. Cops love to harass gay people. Yeah, totally. So Randy's roommate, Mike, recalls his strange sense of humor this is what he said in the book. 
He would make snide little comments that were jokes or something, but they only seemed funny to him. Not ha-ha, but strange funny, odd funny. So Randy was like an irony bro, I feel like. Yeah. Where it's sort of like, oh, you think that's funny. I was joking. Yeah. <laughs> like I said something. <laughs> Can't you take a joke? I said something really offensive, but no, I was joking. Yeah. Okay. So in 1966, uh, oh, 68, after college, Randy joined the Air Force. And by 1969, Randy came out of the closet to his family and they were not happy, especially his dad. Like his mom was like, I'll love and tolerate you. But the dad yeah. was like, no son of mine will be a queer. Yeah. So uh, they were pissed. And that same year, Randy was discharged from the Air Force for, quote, medical reasons. But it was suspected that it was because he had come out of the closet. Yes. And they were like, get out of here. Randy moved into an apartment in Huntington Beach. And he had gotten real skinny at this point. According to him, it was because of his diet of speed and beer. I mean, that sounds true. <laughs> <laughs> that's a... That's a fast track to losing a lot of weight. Yeah. Definitely. Not the healthiest way, but... So he was getting slim. And in March of 1970, Randy was approached by 13-year-old Joey Fancher, a runaway. The boy asked Randy for a cigarette, and he gave him one. Joey explained to Randy that he was running away from his family, and Randy was like, oh, yeah? Well, why don't you come live with me then? And the boy was like, okay, sure, why not? Randy then asked him, have you ever had sex with a woman before? No, the boy replied. Randy offered to procure him one. And this boy, Joey, was stoked. He was like, oh, okay, I hit the jackpot. Like, I just ran away from my family, having problems at home. I just met this cool older dude in his 20s. <laughs> He's going to get me someone to fuck. Look, there's no cool older person hanging out with teenagers. I'm sorry. I, well, it's one of those not. things like I remember thinking that too like wow they're so cool but it's like looking back I'm like oh oh god <laughs> why was the uncle of the person I babysat for always <laughs> around trying to buy take me to the record store you guys are developing nicely yeah <laughs> so wrong so like Randy's like come on get on the back of my motorcycle yeah so he takes this boy on the back of his motorcycle, and they drove up to Long Beach, which is where Randy had an apartment. Randy showed off his van in the driveway. Look, I also have a cool van. Of, because, of course, he had a 70s van. Right. And that was literally the only period in history where that was cool. <laughs> Look, there's a sunset painted, all custom work. Well, he opened the door. He slid open the door to the van. He's like, look, I have shag carpeting. And he did. He had shag carpeting inside. And, you know, this 13-year-old's like, wow, cool. It's kind of sad that vans have such a bad rap. Right. Because they are kind of cool. Well, because so many awful people have And you could party in them. Right. You could party in a van. You don't need a place. You just go in someone's van. My brother has a I'm going to bring back vans. I can't believe more hipsters aren't driving vans. No, I'm saying my brother has a van and he's a hipster. Right. But they should be. I bet you they're going to get more popular. I think they are. There's like van life is like a hashtag on Instagram. Oh, right. You show me that. Yeah. I mean, it's sad when it's van life. Like, yeah. <laughs> when it's a hashtag, it's sad. Yeah. But whatever. My brother's okay. van is cool. It's, it's, it's really old, but it's a lot nicer than my car. Yeah. Like a lot nicer. You could deck it out. <laughs> he did. It's like, there's like, he put AstroTurf on the inside of it. It's like, it's really cool. It's really cool. Anyway, so Joey's way impressed by this guy. Yeah. 
Uh, and Randy's doing all the classic predatorial moves. You know, I'm the cool older guy. I'm going to yeah. lure you into my house right now. So once inside the house, Randy gave the boy a joint to smoke. And Joey didn't feel so well after this joint. So Randy's like, well, here, take these. This will make you feel better. And he gave him four red capsules and some wine to chase it with. And the boy swallowed these four red capsules, but he still still didn't feel well. So Randy's like, well, here, take four more. And he did. And that's when Joey began to feel like he was on the verge of blacking out. Just incredibly woozy. And he completely lost control of his body at that point. Randy then showed Joey photographs of men having sex with each other. Have you ever had sex with a dude? Randy said. The boy was unable to talk or move at this point. And Randy took out his penis and orally raped him. Later, Randy anally raped him. Hours later, Randy left the boy alone in the apartment on a pullout bed. Joey, the boy, heard a knock at the door, and it was two young boys who were, quote, looking for Randy. Then Joey decided to, you know, he barely managed to pull himself together. He escaped. He gets out of this house, and he was found by a good Samaritan you know, uh-huh. somewhere around the corner, around the block, crying and bleeding and, and fucked up, basically, Oof. you know? Uh-huh. Uh, so he's taken to the hospital to get his stomach pumped. And it really sucks. Like, his family life did, this boy's family life did really suck because when his parents got there, they were pissed at him. They were like, what the fuck were you doing running away? Yeah. Like, his dad was a real jerk about it. And he had left his shoes at Randy's house because Randy had taken the boy's shoes probably to make it less... So he couldn't leave, probably. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they were new shoes that his family had bought him. So the dad was like, where are your fucking shoes? So Randy led his parents and the police, who had arrived also, back to Randy's apartment. And at the... Not Rand... Wait, what's the kid's name? Joey. Joe. Oh, you said Randy. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I just was confused. Yeah, Joey led the police to Randy's apartment. Back to Randy Kraft's uh-huh. apartment. And they went uh, snooping around. And at the apartment, they found a Skippy peanut butter jar full of prescription Benzedrine. Then they found a second jar filled with Secanol. This apartment was littered with prescription pill bottles. And they belonged to a woman named Mrs. Doris Lane. When the police found the stacks of nude photographs of both men and women in various stages of fucking, they were like, hey, this isn't an old lady's apartment. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty sexist. (laughs) Old ladies might be into that kind of stuff. You don't know. Well, what's also um, was revealed later on is that the, the man, there was a man in like all of these photos and it was Randy. Oh. So it was pictures of Randy fucking Fucking women and men. Well, I don't know if he was fucking the women. Maybe he was, yeah. but it, he was definitely fucking the men in these photographs or just wow. posing so nude. So did he have like a tripod set up? I, I guess. They were I like, picture him holding that bulb and like, right. <laughs> like on the end of a string. Well, it's like Bob Crane. Yeah, totally. Right. Except so he he's like a poor man's Bob Crane. He's a monster version. And they see, yeah, he's yeah. a murderer also. He's a murderer. <laughs> like just to replace the acting with murder, they're there exactly the same. Right. <laughs> okay. So, uh... They were like, hey, this isn't an old lady's apartment. What's going on here? Yeah. The Uh, cops are quick. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Joey tells the police, he's like, I think this guy's name is Randy because I saw these two kids come over here and they were looking for some guy named Randy. 
but police were unable and unwilling to make a case against Randy. Not only was Joey a runaway, he was a truant. And so they didn't look, yeah, they didn't really care. Uh, and, and also they blame Joey for willingly taking the drugs. They're like, well, you wanted to smoke the weed. Jeez. I you mean, wanted how far we've come, even though it still is horrible. Right. And Whenever we do these stories from the sixties or seventies where it's just, people are just ignored. I mean, that happened with the Jeffrey Dahmer too. Oh yeah. Where the police literally returned the victim to, to his house. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. It's horrific. So Joey at this point didn't even tell them about the sexual assault and the rape. He was like, oh, he didn't even he tell was embarrassed, them. super embarrassed and ashamed. And, and I didn't realize. So they just thought it was a partying thing. Right. But still, it's like there's a adult giving drugs. Right. But that makes drugs. a little more sense that they wouldn't care as much, maybe. Yeah. But they just didn't even investigate it. Yeah, they definitely. Just, and they go to his house and see the naked photographs. Oh, I mean, I'm not the defending them. Right. But I didn't realize the rape thing was no he didn't public. tell them yeah. but they just didn't care to investigate it further investigate, yeah. and they also didn't care to the 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 crime is is that yeah they didn't know that he was raped but like they didn't even care to take this guy in because yeah. they were like well he t- he did it he yeah. took them case closed case closed basically where are the shoes <laughs> well and he got the shoes he okay. did get the shoes so the dad's happy and then his dad beat his ass when he got home <sighs> awful yeah, really bad. An incident report was filed, just like, hey, we yeah, we picked up this kid, yeah. whatever. And this incident report would remain stuck in a file for the next 13 years. Oh my god, can you even imagine all the files that are just just sitting stuck there? there? Yeah. Right, for whatever reason. In 1971, during what the author of this book describes as Randy's surfer period, Randy took a job as a forklift operator. Randy drove his van and he had long shaggy hair that he lightened with bleach. And I think he really looks like Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused, but with longer hair. And I need you to look. Okay. I, I need you to I look at him it. I looked him up before, but I was only seemed like while he was on trial. Yeah, no, it's not that picture. There's a picture of him from this period and he oh. looks just like Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused. It's hysterical. Hold on. Let me find like this it. This type of thing? No, that's not him. That's one of his victims. Here. Oh. This is him. Oh God. Doesn't he? Yes. We'll post it. He has like that facial hair too that I don't like. Where it's really thin. It's just like barely there. It's like why? Right. It's like just don't have just a mustache. It's like literally creeper one oh one to have that kind of mustache or facial hair. Yeah, he looks like a creeper for sure. Randy began dating this guy named Jeff Graves, who was four years younger than him. But Randy wasn't that old he was like in his mid-20s he was he wasn't that old yeah the two were regulars in the gay nightlife scene of long beach and there was a lot of stuff about bdsm one of jeff being into bdsm but i just don't think that's relevant at all to anyone being a criminal or a serial killer no but but this book was written in 1991 so i just where that stuff was more salacious yeah and people just didn't know as much about the lifestyle i mean i do think it's interesting if it related to any kind of death or cover-up a cover right. up of a death, yeah. but it just in general when people try and paint like BDSM is like, well, they were into some really kinky stuff. Yeah, it's like that has nothing to do with it. I mean, look, I'm not gonna bat- bash other podcasts because I would never do that, but there was a true crime podcast I was listening to a few months ago, and the host was sort of framing this the reason this guy was a murderer on the fact that he was into BDSM. 
I'm aware of that podcast. <laughs> I did listen to that show. That is gross to me. It's like when you're awful. trying to trying to amplify something that literally has nothing to do. I can see presenting it as one of the other facts about the person, but to make it a bigger deal than it is as far as the crime goes is weird. Yeah, it's gross. It's really it has nothing to do with anything. So I just wanted to point that out for anyone who reads the book. That's just my that's Rachel's opinion corner. Is <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being into BDSM. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with someone being a serial killer. The more you know. The more you do, know. Do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff and Randy lived together, but they maintained an open relationship, which sometimes would cause strain on the couple. Yes. Beauty should be good for you. And that's why we're excited to tell you about Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter is a clean makeup and skincare brand that started in 2013, disrupting the beauty industry by shedding a light on the need for stronger ingredient regulations in the personal care products that we use daily. Today, Beauty Counter is the leading clean beauty brand creating innovative and high-performing products that are safer and cleaner than even their like-minded competitors. So what do we mean by clean? Over 1,800 questionable ingredients are never used in Beauty Counter's formulations. They call this their never list. You can learn more at beautycounter.com, where you're also going to want to check out their incredible products. Best of all, if you're a new customer and you order through March 15th, you'll get free shipping on your order of $100 or more when you use the code HOLLYWOOD. Once again, to get free shipping on your order of $100 or more, go to beautycounter.com and use the code HOLLYWOOD. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy, getting out of it is hard, especially if your credit score isn't great. Thankfully now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high interest credit card debt. I know firsthand that there's nothing more frustrating than trying to pay something down and your payments are pretty much just paying off the interest. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you. The best part? Once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards or meet their financial goals. So free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is top-ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash Hollywood to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash Hollywood. Uh, Randy's first believed murder was 30-year-old Wayne Duquette, a bartender at the gay bar called The Stable in Long Beach. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not laughing at the murder, but The Stable is pretty great. I'm telling you, some of these bar names are fantastic. Yeah, The Stable is amazing. Yeah. Wayne's body was found near the Ortega Highway on October 5th, 1971. The body had been there for two weeks, and the cause of death was ruled acute alcohol poisoning. Police believe that Wayne was the victim of Randy as the word stable was number one on his infamous scorecard or death list. We will be talking about his scorecard in part two of this two-parter episode. So yeah, we'll get to that later. But this is why this guy was believed to be his first victim, his first murder victim. 
Randy was a fan of disappearing for a few days at a time and then holing himself up in his room upon his return. He also liked hanging around Camp Pendleton looking for Marines. He was really into Marines. Randy and Jeff would get into these fights and then Randy would go stay at a friend's house in a huff for a few days. And one night, while Randy was staying at a friend's house, they had these friends, they all decided, let's have a get together. So, you know, like a handful of people came over, they're drinking, making food, having a good time. And Randy's being a little pouty bitch and antisocial the whole time that these friends are having their little get together. And he's just like sitting in a corner pouting. The next morning, his friend and his friend's roommate, they're like, we're going to go to the beach. And Randy hung back. While they were gone, Randy destroyed their kitchen. What? Yeah. He took a trash can. He just emptied it out all over the floor. Coffee grounds, like just shit everywhere. He took out a big like sack of flour and dumped it (gasps) on the floor. And then he dumped a bag of sugar on the floor. And then he like took all this food and just dumped it all over the stove and dumped it on the floor and just like made a huge fucking baby mess everywhere. That is the scene you walk into. You're like, I literally don't know how to begin. I have to move. (laughs) Like where you're, it's something like, remember when the sugar fell on me (laughs) Yes, and it just went everywhere and I was covered in sugar and I was like, I don't even know what to do. do Like, what do I do? I'm covered. I'm sticky. I'm in a Def Leppard video. So it's like, I can't even imagine walking into that scene. It's so horrifying. It was such a nightmare. Yeah. So he has this little baby tantrum and then immediately after he dumps all this shit all over the floor, he tapes a note to the fridge apologizing for losing his temper and then just bounces fucking clean it up bitch (laughs) can you believe that it's like he didn't even like it would still be crazy if he like just left in a huff after doing that yes but the fact that he actually calmed down in that moment enough to write a note and apologize that's wild yeah this guy has problems yeah this guy randy craft how dare you randy (laughs) craft so December 23rd, 1972, Randy Kraft picked up 20-year-old Marine Edward Moore. Now, Eddie was last seen leaving Camp Pendleton. He was found a few days later near the 405 freeway at Seal Beach by a highway patrol officer at 1.45 in the morning. Eddie Moore was clothed but missing his shoes and his belt. He was wearing one sock and the other sock was jammed into his rectum. What? Yes. This is actually a signature of Randy Kraft is the sock in the rectum. Wow. Yes. He would do a few variations okay. on things in rectums, but mm-hmm. the sock was like a an old classic that uh-huh. he liked to do. Eddie had been beaten on his face with a blunt object and strangled to death with a garrote before being dumped by a moving vehicle as evidenced by the abrasions on his body. The cause of death was ruled as strangulation. Eddie had ligature marks on his wrists and ankles, and he had been bound before his death. There was trauma to his genital area, including scratches on his testicles and a bite mark on his penis. Yeah. So, like I said before, some of Randy's signatures was the stuffing of foreign objects into the anus, as well as the mutilation of genitals. Both of these were usually present. There was usually something stuffed inside Uh the victim's anus and there was usually some form of genital trauma or mutilation okay. that occurred. In the book, they sort of waxed about, oh, could it have been that he was a self-hating gay? Was he trying to assert his masculinity on these yeah. guys? And uh-huh. I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist. I I genuinely don't know. I just think he was a fucking asshole. And I really... 
I don't know. I yeah. He just he was sick. Really he was like a sadist. I yeah, mean. he's a sadist. Um, uh, many of his victims were found with burn marks from a car cigarette lighter, specifically burn marks on the victim's left nipple. Oh, weird. I don't know why the left nipple. I mean, I know. Well, like, that would be the passenger side. Oh, right. Let but, me see. Okay, I'm driving my car. Where's my left nipple? This is my left. No, no, but you're not the the passenger. Oh, yeah, the passenger. So you just reach over and you. But the the thing is, did he do that when they were still alive or bound up? Yeah, or yeah. Dead? He like, did uh-huh. the mutilation and stuff while they were still alive. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that those are his main signatures okay. is like stuffing things in the anus genital mutilation and the burns okay a lot of the corpses were listed as john doe's uh some of it having to do with the fact that you know these were just either random stragglers or they had run away from their family because he he murdered a lot of gay men and i don't know if that had anything to do with people who didn't maybe they weren't close to their families they weren't close to their yeah. families at that time so um, and on February 6, 1973, another body was found, this time next to the Terminal Island Freeway in Los Angeles by the Long Beach Naval Station. The body was a nude, unidentified male. He also had a sock jammed into his rectum and a ligature mark around his neck. Like Eddie Moore, this victim was dead from strangulation and he was said to be about 18 years old. Not long after, on Easter Sunday, a body was found at a place known as Airplane Hill in Huntington Beach. He was also unidentified. The man had uh, tattoos, including a swastika. He was uh, 18. He had been bound by the wrist before death. He had been sodomized, and his penis and testicles had been cut off about 15 minutes before he died. Cause of death was ruled as suffocation, but the loss of blood from the genital mutilation was a contributing factor. The victim had also been dumped out of a moving vehicle after he was killed. Around the same time, another body, or body parts, I should say, were found belonging to a victim known as John Doe 52. His head was found in a brown paper bag outside of a supermarket in Long Beach. The victim's eyelids had been cut off antemortem, so before he died, his eyelids were cut off so that Randy could force him to watch as he tortured him. Oh, wow. Which is crazy because there was a movie that came out like less than 10 years ago with Russell Crowe where Russell Crowe does that to somebody. Uh Like he's torturing this guy who killed his family. And I remember like hearing about this movie. I didn't see it because I just heard my friend told me about that scene. I was like, I'll never see that movie because I hate torture porn. Yeah. But I remember hearing about that and being like, what sick fuck comes up with that idea? Yeah. That's horrendous. And then when I read that in this book, I was like, no way. And I like confirmed a bunch of other sources. Like, yes, they found this guy. Jesus. Yeah. So I was. Of I, course, right now I'm trying to think, I'm like, how could I still not look? Because <laughs> you'd think like, wouldn't you be bleeding like the blood? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's so sick. It's disgusting. Yeah. I mean, just the act. Just the idea of doing it. Yeah. So that was the head that they found. They found his head at the at the grocery store and then more body parts were discovered belonging to the victim his arms his torso and right leg were found dumped in plastic garbage ba- bags in san pedro along the road and his left leg was found behind a bar in sunset beach his hands were never found like randy's victims before john doe 52 had been tied up before his death and he had also sustained genital mutilation on July 30th, 1973, the body of 20, 20-year-old Ron Weeb was found off the 405 freeway on-ramp. 
Ron was last seen on July 28th leaving a bar in Los Alamitos, but he had a flat tire. Ron's sister was worried when he went missing the next day. He didn't, he didn't turn up, and Ron's car was still parked at the bar. The next day, he would turn up dead from ligature strangulation with abrasions on his body and bruising to his face, also a sock in his rectum. Randy's final victim of 1973, notice how I said of 1973, because Mm -hmm. we have a lot more murders to go to. That's partially why this episode is going to be two-parters. Okay, I digress. Randy's final victim of 1973 was 23-year-old Long Beach University student Vincent Cruz Mestas. He was found by hikers on December 29th, 1973. He was found at the bottom of a ravine. Gerard Butler, it's not Russell Crowe, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I just realized. Okay, I'm really <laughs> sorry. I, that I that would have bothered me if I'd recorded and not said it was Gerard. Okay. The movie was Gerard Butler. Okay, anyway, I'm sorry. So Vincent was found by hikers December 29th, 1973. He was found at the bottom of a ravine in the San Bernardino Mountains by hikers. He was fully clothed, save for the sock stuck in his rectum. His hands had been cut off, but the hands were never found. And he had just plastic baggies covering Mm -hmm. the stumps where his hands had been before that. Also, something that was odd is that his head and his face had been shaved. And an object believed to be something like a swizzle stick had been stuck into his penis after his death. Yeah. So there was some playing with the body Uh after he died. An article in the Long Beach Independent Press Telegram from January 1st, 1974, reported on Vincent's murder as the sixth in a string of grisly killings in the area. But Randy wasn't done. Randy would continue mutilating and murdering young men for the next decade. In 1974, five more men had turned up dead at the hands of Randy. One of his victims, 20-year-old Malcolm Little, was found nude along Highway 86 by the Salton Sea. He was propped up against a mesquite tree, and one of the branches was stuck in his rectum. Like a large tree branch. Possibly done after death. It didn't specify that. His genitals had also been removed. And by the end of 1974, there were still no known suspects. Police were absolutely stumped. Did they have a... Did they realize the socks and the rectum like were they realizing that it was a serial killer at this point yes yeah yeah they were like this is a serial killer but who is it yeah like they had no one to pin it on they didn't even have anyone they suspected or that they were like a person of interest like they were just like holy shit we don't know who this is and by january of 1975 17 year old high school student he was found floating in the water at Ocean Beach. He had been strangled and a wooden stake was found in his rectum. This was Randy's youngest murder victim at the time. And just two weeks later, another body turned up. 21-year-old Craig Jonates was found in a vacant lot off the PCH in Long Beach. By the end of January, homicide detectives and police departments all over Southern California, along with the FBI, Uh, and specifically FBI agent Howard Tetton, met at the Orange County Sheriff's headquarters to plot their next moves. Even psychiatrists who specialized in working with people, inmates, Uh were called. They they assembled this big task force Uh to be like, we got to get this guy. Like People from all over Southern California. In March of 1975, Randy picked up 15-year-old Kent May and his friend, 19-year-old Keith Crotwell, in the Belmont Shore neighborhood of Long Beach. They were approached by Randy, who offered them beer. 
Kent, who at the time was bummed out about his girlfriend breaking up with him, was like, yeah, I'll take some beer. And so the two boys, they got into Randy's car. He had a black and white Mustang. And he fed the boys alcohol and pills as they drove around the neighborhood and then onto the freeway. And Randy wasn't taking any of the pills or drinking any of the alcohol. No, he was he's, staying sober. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. staying sober for all of this. He's just feeding these boys these random red capsules and weird shit, whatever they had in the 70s, and giving them beers. And, and they're sort of just driving around aimlessly. 15-year-old Kent blacked out, and then he came to in his bed the next morning <sighs> with his friends standing over him like, dude, his friends were like, do you remember what happened last night? And he's like, oh my God, like, how did I even get home? I don't even remember. And they, this is crazy. They told him that they helped him get home after they saw him get pushed out of a moving vehicle outside of the bar that they just happened to be drinking at. And one of his friends got a look at Randy while he was, after he dumped him off like Uh in the parking lot. So they did, his friends did get a look at Randy and they did get a look at his black and white Mustang. But Keith, the 19-year-old boy who was with him that night, was still missing. And after a few days, a missing missing persons report was filed after the 19-year-old boy never showed up. It wasn't until May 8th that Keith's head was discovered wedged between the rocks off the Long Beach Marina. Randy's Mustang was discovered parked outside of an apartment in the Belmont Shore neighborhood in Long Beach five days later. Detectives went to Randy's apartment and asked him to come down to the station for questioning. Randy told detectives that, yes, I did drive around with two boys that night, and that, yes, I did drop one of them off at a bar. But then he proceeded to tell, like, this super elaborate, over-the-top story about what happened next. Uh Basically, he's like, yeah, I was driving around with this other guy I met at the, you know, cruising spot, whatever. He's like, what happened was uh, the car got stuck in a ditch off the, this area, this off the side of the freeway, you know, like it got stuck. There was a really soft mud and, and the car was stuck. So we were like flagging down people for help. And then, um, you know, my friend was coming to, to, to help us get the car out. But while we were waiting, you know, uh, Keith just, he just wandered off. He didn't know his name, but he uh-huh. was like the boy yeah. I was with. He's like the boy I was with just wandered off. Detectives didn't believe it. They were suspicious of this guy. Yeah. They were like, okay, they didn't have enough evidence to hold him on, so they let him go. But what they did do is they went to the site where Randy had said that his car had gotten stuck, and they concluded they were like, okay, well, that soil does look a little soft. It does like, so it's not seem, completely out of the question. It's not completely out of the question that his car could have gotten stuck there. Then they went to Randy's boyfriend, Jeff Graves, who corroborated the story. He's like, oh, yeah, I was mm-hmm. Randy. That's all true. So even though detectives thought Randy was full of shit, they were like, he he murdered this guy. This is the guy. He murdered him. But the Long Beach District Attorney's Office threw out the case due to lack of evidence. Oh, wow. And that is where we will leave off until part two. Damn. Yeah. So he was like... They had. They wanted to go after him. They had him. They uh-huh. had him. But the DA was like, "No, this is a joke. You don't have anything." I always wonder why a DA wouldn't prosecute a murder. <laughs> like, like there is something weird to me about how they're like, "Can I win this or not?" Like, they just didn't. <clears throat> they just thought it wasn't winnable. They yeah. didn't think it was winnable. So because, they didn't want to waste their resources and time. Right. I mean, I'm sure I'll read more stuff about it in the book. Like. 
late, you know, I, this book is long, uh, <laughs> as I, as you can probably tell, he killed a lot of people, but it is sort of like we hear a lot in these stories we tell about these prolific serial killers about how the, there is sometimes there is a moment where they are seconds and inches away from actually being caught and taken down. And then it's like a decade, decade later that they're actually taken down. Right. And they kill all these people. Yeah. And will you get into this next week about like why he did this? Yeah. Okay. And I'm just, I didn't even know if they knew or if he ever said what his turning point was. Like how did he go from having this great or just normal childhood? Yeah. Well, he didn't have like the trifecta. The one thing that he did have in the serial killer trifecta is that he did have a head injury when he was a toddler. Okay. But he didn't have the bedwetting and he didn't have the mutilation of animals. Right. So that was like the only thing I could think of. I mean, I mean, I guess in a way, Jeffrey Dahmer also had a pretty normal childhood. And by normal, I just mean <laughs> average. Cause right. his parents were like, yeah, his dad was super supportive of him. I've, seen that interview with stone right. Phillips. i know I, I mean that's my memory was that yeah i mean there's a lot on this guy he is said to have killed like 50 people at least i wow. mean that's a lot i remember we were talking about william bonin and william bonin you were like how many guys did, did he kill because you never hear about these guys the way you hear about a Dahmer. Or right, and I always wonder why you don't hear about guys like I mean, people who know serial killers probably know Randy Kraft's name, or they probably know these guys. Yes, but you don't. They're hear not them. the ones you always hear about. No, you always hear about Bundy, and you hear about Dahmer. I mean, Dahmer, I get he's very exceptional. Yes, because there's the cannibalism element, right? I and mean, he, zombies. Yeah, I mean, come he's on. he's an exceptional. He is an exceptional killer. student <laughs> of the craft. <laughs> But, like, guys, like, I mean, this is Just by up, body count alone. By body count alone and what he did to these people. Right. I mean, if now that I'm thinking about it, when I'm like, well, what about this person and that person? It's like, well, you can see why Ted Bundy or Wayne, Jan, John Wayne Gacy were right. standouts. Because he's a clown. But then there would be someone like Joel Rifkin. Do you remember him? I feel like, he, there, I feel like these guys might be on his level. Yeah. It was like he was just a serial killer who did horrific murders right but there was nothing really special about him well i hate to use the word special (laughs) (laughs) like you know what i mean that does sound like a positive attribute there's nothing there was no like standout he's like just a everyday loser no nothing guy you You gotta have a gimmick you gotta you gotta have obviously these guys had no agent (laughs) right no management i'm saying it's together there's i mean the freeway is their gimmick but clearly I mean, I know there's another th- guy that was called the freeway killer, right? There's like a third one. Yeah. I always hear the three of them. I, isn't that so the East like the Area minute, Rapist? No. I think there was another one in LA that's also referred to as a freeway killer. And he yeah. might be the the weak link, weak link in that group. Like, I right. don't think he did as many, maybe. But just the fact that there's three freeway killers. I mean, people are already confused. Uh, exactly. <laughs> like, that was their gimmick. And other people had the freeway gimmick. Right. But you're right. The body count alone seems exceptional. Right. It could also be that the victims were gay, which doesn't bother us or bother a lot of people now. But maybe back then, it wasn't a story people really wanted to talk about as much as like innocent young women being killed or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like Or young boys like with Gacy. Yes. Like, I, I don't believe that. So don't at me. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out why these people didn't get... I mean, I think that's an interesting thing like why do certain serial killers kind of you know transcend transcend and kind of become these cultural icons right 
I'm saying you got to have a gimmick and you got to have a brand. You know, it's like John Wayne Gacy. That is a strong brand. Well, and also like, let's say someone like Richard Ramirez, who maybe had a more typical killing spree, like where it was just, he had like that crazy catch where they ca- caught him in an right. East LA neighborhood. Right. And then during the trial, he was all out Satanist. Oh my God. And he also had the people writing him love letters and wanting to marry him. People so thought he, he was funky. Had- I mean, I can kind of see. Look, he just had high cheekbones. He's like metalhead hot. Like not really hot, but like amongst all the metalheads, sure. (laughs) (laughs) The dirtbag metalheads. Totally. Come on. Yeah, yeah, he does have very high cheekbones. He has high cheekbones. It's not really honestly something I look for in a man. No. I'm not like, ooh, high cheekbones. (laughs) I just don't care. Although I'm really into Bill Skarsgård right now, and he has gorgeous cheekbones. But he is gorgeous all around. Right, no, he's actually gorgeous. But I'm just saying specifically when we're talking about cheekbones, he's like the king of cheekbones But it's not like something you're like, I want a guy with high cheekbones and a big dick. (laughs) It's not like something I've ever heard a woman want in a man. But if they have it, it's like, oh, wow. That's nice, I guess. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I've never, I don't know why these, these ones. There has to be. It's interesting. There has to be some kind of psychology behind it. Write a book about it, guys. We'll promote it. (laughs) (laughs) So is that, that's it for today, right? That's it for today. Okay. So then just one more push to write us a review on iTunes. If you don't want to write it, you can just press five stars and you can write a review. You can say something like, I think, you know, they bitched at me. Those bitches. You could just write bitches. <laughs> you could write. Try, some, just write like a word. I feel you like could write something rude and still give us five stars. Oh yeah, write something rude and give us five stars. Right. <laughs> just say these dumb whores. I They're mean, that's, vulgar. That's five actually, stars. That's the thing. Whenever people complain about us being too vulgar, I'm like, you don't know. You don't realize you're giving me a compliment right now. I know you. We think take that's... those reviews and we post them and we thank we thank you. Right. When you tell us we're disgusting. And no woman should talk that way. Right. And then you're like, oh, I'm like, oh, Grandma Sheila. (laughs) Come on. Wait a minute. Who was the celebrity who said that you were a disgusting young woman? Or was it Chuck Oh, it was Vile. Yeah, Chuck Woolery. Chuck Woolery one time called Desi Vile and said, America's sweetheart. (laughs) (laughs) I have America's sweetheart in my profile. And you wouldn't believe how many dumbasses take it seriously. Like, I have had so many people say to me, like, you're hardly America's (laughs) sweetheart and it's like really that's kind of the joke like because I am very cute you don't know because you don't know me in person but even though I am vulgar I'm very cute I'm like a Shirley Temple she is wannabe she is although I did say someone recently I was like I guess I'm at the age now where I'm more of a baby Jane but that's still cute yeah I'm getting baby Jane that's fine I I will transition with with fucking integrity she's writing a letter to daddy it's all good it's very cute you know what I have a gimmick you gotta have a gimmick that should be the title of this episode, but it won't be. It'll be Randy Craft. Okay. okay. Cool. Looking forward to next week. All right. Bye. bye.